two parts to this passage. We've been continuing on in Isaiah. If you're visiting, you maybe aren't sure what's going on. Why are we jumping into the middle of this? Uh, Isaiah, again, major prophets, right, in Israel's past. And with a twofold message, a call of judgment upon the nation that got so sidetracked with sin, idolatry, and justice, but also a call to hope that God's heart for his people and God's heart for you, even when you are lost in your own brokenness and guilt and fear, and whatever else might be going on in your life, his heart for you is to bring you back into restoration and back into life and back into relationship with him. That happens on a personal level, but it happens on a, on a nationwide level as well. Now, the big, the big theme here is, is hope. The big theme is hope. Uh, where is Hezekiah going to turn for his trust? Where is Hezekiah going to find his hope? And friends, it's the same question that we face uh, when we're in the middle of major moves in our life, when suddenly God leads us somewhere we didn't expect to go, uh, when we're working on a project, or we're struggling in our marriage, or, or work has become hard, or whatever's going on in life, there's always this question, well, in whom, or in what, are you going to find ultimately your hope? Who are you going to turn to to trust? Uh, who will you, who will you find faith in? This is the question that Hezekiah faces, and Hezekiah kind of fleshes out for us this whole question. Is Judah going to, going to fall, or is Judah going to become repentant and turn back to the Lord? And so Hezekiah kind of embodies that whole theme, the rise and the fall. But the overall picture is this question of hope. You hope it. And uh, fittingly, that's the first uh, theme of the first week of Advent is hope. And if you're unfamiliar with Advent, it's a, a season of anticipation uh, for Christ. It's a celebration of him coming into our world uh, and all that he's done. But it's also uh, a looking ahead his return, anticipating uh, what he will do when he comes back and settle things tonight. And so it's a season of kind of preparing our own hearts and saying, Lord, uh, I need you uh, to return and show up in my own life. Uh, I don't need just an advent 2,000 years ago and an advent sometime in the future when you return, but uh, I need an advent here and now as you come and make your dwelling within me. Uh, it's fitting, advent, we find that in the first part of the adventure, right? And so uh, you can say it's almost a Christian life that is following in the adventure that God gives you. And I think that Linda, in many ways, you're living that out for us this morning. What I want us to focus on this morning is two passages, right? That first passage is Hezekiah's prayer. Let's look at that prayer. This is a good, a good turn for Hezekiah. This is a, something we could kind of model for ourselves. And then there's a bit of a bad turn. And this sends the whole nation spiraling. And it actually ends this half of the book of Isaiah. So through November, we've taken five weeks and we've kind of seen the, the messages of judgment and kind of things are bad, it's not good, and uh, this is the end of that part and the whole nation is going to go into exile. And then through December, we get the second half of Isaiah, which is all the hope stuff. I promise it gets so much, so much happier from here on out. Not quite as depressing. But, but note, note his prayer. Turn with me back to 37, uh, verses 14 to 20. Look at the movements of this prayer. He gets this letter. Now you're going, what's the letter from the head of messengers? The letter from the invading Syrian army, uh, kind of mocking them and whatnot. There's this ongoing kind of issue back and forth. And so Assyria's come, they're invading. Hezekiah gets this letter. What does he do? 
We went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before the Lord. I love this picture of as Hezekiah gets news in his life of crisis, of incredible difficulty. Uh, he actually brings it, takes it with him. The thing that kind of embodies the issue in his life takes it and brings it with him into prayer. Kind of lays it out before God. It's like, I don't, well, I, don't, I can't do anything about this. Lord, here you go. So he lays out this letter uh, in, in, in before the Lord. Now look at what he says. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, throne of the cherubim, you are God, you alone, all the kingdoms of the earth, you made heaven and earth. The first thing Hezekiah does is pray. In the moment of difficulty in his life, he's chosen to pray, first of all, the first thing he does, he doesn't just start kind of waxing poetic about how much God deserves to save him. Nothing like that. What's the first thing he does? He praises the Lord. The first thing out of his mouth is praise. And it's a difficult thing to learn that in our own life, when things are rough, to let praise be the first thing on our lips. And yet, here we find in Hezekiah's case is praise to God. God, you are good, even in the midst of this. So he describes God as the throne above the cherubim, right? This is, this is God as creator over all creation. And what he's saying is, God, you're bigger than the problems that are represented here in this letter by God. God, you're bigger than that. I'm going to turn my, my focus, my gaze upward to you and proclaim your goodness and your holiness even over this in my own life. That's the first thing he does. Now look at the second thing he does. He says, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. So, so he praises God, and then he starts to ask. He gets his own heart kind of up in the right track first. He becomes God-oriented first. And then he brings his request to God. Find your ear, open your eyes, hear the words of this one who mocks you, this king of Syria. And even though God is enthroned on high, the temptation might be to say, well, he's so up there, he doesn't care about my own life. Hezekiah shows us, no, no. God is enthroned and high and well and exalted, and yet he cares about the issues here in my own life. He's present in the mess and the muddle that I find here before me. This is incredibly encouraging. To know that God is not just true and real and present, but that He cares of individual details of your life. So we find your dear Lord, and God, God enters into our brokenness. Now look at the third thing. He says, Truly, O Lord, this is verse 18, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and cast their gods into the fire, meaning the, the idols that the other nations have. As Assyria has come and kind of laid waste, they've, they've gotten rid of the idols that other nations have as well. Hezekiah is very realistic about what's going on. He praises God, he invites God into the situation, knowing that God will intervene. But he doesn't pretend that it's not a bad go. You know? I've heard people do this sometimes. They kind of... They also want to be honest about how bad things can get. You know, the attempt to keep up a positive attitude, which can be really, really helpful. They almost feel ignorant of, of the real issue, the crisis. And here Hezekiah is not. He's like, God, it's really bad. Like, they're coming and wiping people out. Uh, and they're throwing those gods in the fire, but I know you are not like those gods. You are not like those idols. God, I need you to show up and do something. But he's realistic about it. He's realistic about it. Friends, there's a there's such an honesty here. There's an honesty in Hezekiah's prayer that I think is so helpful for us to remember. Uh, when we face trouble, 
that God is enthroned, he's above it all, but he, he is present and, and willing and able to come into the mess in the middle of our lives. Uh, we can be honest about how we're feeling about it before. Just read the Psalms. Like they're angry, they're bitter, they're sad, uh, they're really joyful at times, but they this whole range of emotions. And here Hezekiah is doing that too. You don't need to you get the right attitude then you can go to prayer. You can go to prayer with a terrible attitude and invite God to come in and change that as you go. And then finally he begs God to save them and, uh, and yields to what God's going to do. He yields to what God's going to do. I think that's so helpful for us in prayer. It's not just to say, Lord, would you do this in my life? But to say, God, I give it to you. At the end of the day, this is what we're going to do. I just submit myself to you. So this, this overall is a really good move. This is Hezekiah being faithful to God, being, being repentant, being obedient. And notice what's the first thing he does? He goes to prayer. He gets the news and goes to prayer. Goes to prayer, he thanks God for his goodness, he acknowledges him, he invites him into the message, he's honest about it, and then he yields himself. Uh, I need to remember this sort of pattern of prayer in my own life. Sometimes I get really, my prayers are wonky sometimes, folks. I don't know about you. I get praying, and I, suddenly I'm talking about something where God, I'm talking about this, and I just start talking about myself? Oh Lord, you know, I kind of, I get kind of sidetracked. Here, this kind of reminds me, you know, I look to you first. I need to be God-oriented first. Say, God, you're the one. You're in control. I submit to you. It's, it's a real mess. It's a big mess. But you have to do something. This is Hezekiah demonstrating what Israel's meant to be. This is the, his rise, in a sense. And friends, prayer is the, is the lifeline of the believer. Friends, prayer is where we cultivate a friendship with God. Uh, I know in, in my own life, uh, just thinking of you, Linda, as you've been talking about you going, Linda has demonstrated to me the vibrancy that can come from a life of prayer and God. And she models that for me. But prayer is that lifeline for us folks. It's the first place we should go. Now, how often do we try and sort of fix things on our own or address things on our own and then finally get to God? But here Hezekiah says, I just, I just go right to God first. I just go right to him first. He doesn't ignore the facts. He brings it all before God and asks him to intervene. And God does intervene. You know, it might not be what we expect, but God does intervene. He saves the city in this case. And I was reminded of times in my own life where I've been overwhelmed with stuff that's going on, whether it's a lot of stuff going on when I was in college, big decisions that I had to make, or things in, in Sarah, in Sarah's own life, whatever it might be. And uh, I've come back to certain key verses that have been about this hope and this trust in God. And in fact, when we got married, uh, the verse that my parents kind of gave us was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. So I'm sure most of you know, right? trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge Him. You will make your path straight or direct your paths. And I think of Jesus' own words here in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, but also believe in me. We get this theme all throughout Scripture. Paul does it too here in Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Friends, this is to be what marks our lives, don't you think? 
that as we turn to God in prayer and, and try and put our trust in Him, He responds by filling us with His hope and His love and His peace. That it doesn't mean that issues in our life get necessarily easier. It's just how we realize God's present with us in it. And that changes everything. It changes our whole perspective. Uh, it makes the, the hardships in life uh, it makes us realize that's not the ultimate end. There's something bigger going on When the troubles come, folks, do, do we respond like Hezekiah? Do you respond with prayer? Do you, is God the first place you go? That's, that's the good thing to learn from Hezekiah here. But then there's, there's, a, there's that's the encouraging thing. Then there's this term. Uh, his rise is almost immediately followed by this downfall. So turn, turn over to chapter 39. This is, this is the rough go here. Hezekiah hosts this delegation from Babylon. They show up, kind of an envoy, they're, they're visiting, and what does he start doing? He starts showing them everything, right? So it's like having really impressive guests over at your house for an I don't know, and, and suddenly you're showing them the coolest thing you have. I don't, I don't know, fill in the blank. Like, what's your coolest thing? I, I don't know, maybe you've got a giant garden or something. I don't know. TV. I don't know why I would show anybody, but uh, you know, here they come. Um, they could, like, imagine the queen was coming over. What would you show the queen? I, I don't know. Probably my kids. Show my kids. They're really cool. So I would get you. But here comes Babylon, and Hezekiah is—he's really enamored with them, isn't he? He thinks they're really something. So he starts showing them all his treasures, all the storehouse, all the resources of the city. And he's not even, he doesn't think anything of it. Doesn't, doesn't think twice about it. Just starts showing them all of his stuff. All of his stuff. He's, he's impressed with that. Uh, but if, if you remember back uh, to chapter 6, 7, 8, that, that section, do you remember King Ahaz? He was wanting to make a political alliance with Egypt, with Syria, different ones along the way. And suddenly we realize this, this starts to sound like his dad. It starts to sound like trying to put your trust in this, in this kind of political arrangement you can make with someone else instead of God. And Hezekiah is not, not caught on to this at all, but Isaiah does, right? Look at what Isaiah says. Isaiah the prophet, this is, this is verse 3, came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come? Like, uh, who, are your, who are these fancy visitors you have? What are you doing with them? Right? Hezekiah said, they came to me from a far country from Babylon. And he says, well, what have they seen in your house? Like, well, what, you know, what is you kind of showing up to them? Right? Hezekiah said, they've seen all that's in my house. Like, I showed them all the good stuff. It's awesome. There's nothing in my storehouse that they did not show me. <laughs> he foolishly, folks, he shows off the wealth of the kingdom and invites Babylon to plunder it without realizing it. Right? Babylon has its own agenda. One scholar wrote it like this. He says, The man whose faith stood firm in the Assyrian invasion now melts in the face of Babylonian flattery. He stood firm when there was a crisis. But as soon as things started looking good, he's forgotten God. That's the real danger here. And Isaiah's right. Uh, that Babylon's going to come, 
and they're going to turn on him. And if you go to Second Kings, we're not going to turn. If you go to Second Kings twenty-four and twenty-five, we realize Isaiah is absolutely right. But a hundred years later, Babylon turns on whatever kind of arrangement was potentially getting made with Hezekiah, and they burn the whole city to the ground, including the temple. Everything's gone. They just wipe it out, and they bring everyone into exile. And uh, you know, kind of tragically, Isaiah's shown that he actually is a true prophet. But it's heartbreaking because now Israel has actually been removed from the land. And God's, you know, that message of judgment has come true. Uh, and it's heartbreaking. Here they are in this terrible situation. How is God going to actually fulfill his promises? Especially since the royal line of David's gone into exile as well. Now what? How is God actually going to fulfill that? And uh, we'll get to that through December. But here's the thing I want to focus on is, is Hezekiah the theme of hope. When danger was looming, right? When Syria was coming, when the when the crisis was happening in his life, he turned to God, quickly came to God, gave, gave himself to the Lord. But when things were looking good, and when the temptation, I think this is the key, when the temptation to focus on his success and his wealth became priority, he lost his sense of God. In the moment of his you know, prosperity and fame, that's when his faith began to slip. So the lesson in Hezekiah's rise, folks, is for us to become people of prayer and obedience and repentance. The lesson in his fall is that our sense of status or wealth or, or prosperity or the temptation of how we look in front of other people, it can cultivate a kind of spiritual apathy where we forget to turn to God. Sometimes it's easier to turn to God when it's hard. When things start looking good, well, don't think about it anymore. Look at all this cool stuff I have. That's the real danger here, that Hezekiah points out to us. And I was reminded, this brings me to Revelation, I was reminded of the danger of wealth and status and how that can breed spiritual apathy uh, over in Revelation. When Jesus is talking to the church in Laodicea, and he says this, this is Revelation 3.15, and he talks about how they're spiritually different because they've given into this temptation. He says, I know your works, this is Jesus talking to the church. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. Because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. No use for you. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched and poor and blind and naked. Folks, success and wealth and prosperity blinded believers to their brokenness and their sin. Friends, here's the issue. We all face the reality of sin and evil in our own hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 15, he says, out of the heart of evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and these things defile a person. And you know what's, what's really terrible about that? He makes that statement about you and me. That's what's in our hearts. It's not very uplifting, is it? I heard one speaker say, this is a terrible recruitment poster. Like, your heart's full of evil. Come follow me. Right? And yet they do. People do follow Jesus. The world will tell you, folks, the problem is not internal. That if you, if you do enough good things, you know, you get on God's good side. Or if you meditate enough, you know, you can become like God. Or if you do enough social reformations, you can fix society and whatnot. 
But all of those are putting faith in himself. Jesus says, you need to put your faith in me. And so in the same passage in Revelation, what does he say? You're not the problem. Uh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not the world that lives the problem. You're the problem. And then he says this. The one who's lost in spiritual apathy, the one that's lost in the temptation to give, give himself to success and wealth and, and, and ignore the reality of our own sinfulness, he says this, I stand at the door and knock. He says this to Christians, not to believers, says this to Christians. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This is a beautiful image of sharing life together. Right? To eat with Jesus. Jesus enters our brokenness and our sinfulness. So against the, the backdrop of Hezekiah, this danger of seduction to kind of pursue what looks successful by the world's standards. That's what it is, right? In the face of that alluring temptation, God calls us to repentance, to faith, to humility, to obedience, to open the door to him. Not to close that door and turn it distracted by kind of what Babylon will be to leave that door open and invite him to come to change our hearts, to transform us. Friends, God comes knocking at that door. Comes knocking at the door. So these two things as I wrap this up, these two things, in the times of difficulty, Hezekiah models this really good choice, right? Turn to the Lord of all creation in prayer. Give it to him. Seek his face. Yield to him. Whatever's going on in your life. Maybe small things, maybe big things. Maybe things are pretty good. If things are pretty good, then learn from the second thing. In the times of success and prosperity, Hezekiah models a poor choice for us. It's become spiritually apathetic. In the church in Laodicea, to think we're doing pretty good. We've actually lost our sense of God. We've lost our faith in God. Bank health looking good. You know, friends are good. Family's good. Healthy. It's in those moments that we forget that we need to cling to God because the reality is I'm sinful. I still need Him to come to change my heart and make me new. So what time are you in, friends? And how do you respond? Are you in a time of difficulty where you need to go to God in prayer? Just lay it before him? Are, are things looking pretty good in your life? Then resist the temptation to put God on the back burner. And instead, hear the voice of Jesus. He says, I stand at the door and knock. Open the door and hear his voice. Let him come in. Share his life with you. That is the only answer the sin and the evil that all of us uh, contribute to every day.